My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer, and more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Campfires of Hope Living Beyond Cancer with Epic Experience. My name is Colin Farrow. I will be your guest host for the day, as in we're giving some time off to our regular host, Gail Fay. But very excited to bring on our friend and advocate partner, Chris Draft, today. Chris is the founder of Team Draft, and I will let him tell a little bit more about his story. So, Chris, welcome. Man, thank you for having me on. And I, I'll have to say co-founder of Team Draft. Uh, Team Draft was founded with me and my uh, my wife, Keisha, on our, our wedding day, November 27, 2011. So the Chris Draft Family Foundation, which is the, uh, the overarching foundation, was founded in 2006. And I'm the founder of that, but it's important to know that uh, yeah, Team Draft was founded together. And uh, it was founded based on my wife's experience with lung cancer. So 37-year-old woman who was challenging me to, to do P90X and run a 10K race with her. And all of a sudden, it's diagnosed with lung cancer in uh, December of 2010. Uh, so she had a little shortness of breath, went in and talked to her primary care doc, came back, mass in her left lung. And we found out the most important fact about lung cancer that anyone can get it. You know, and I hope that, you know, as we're listening, you know, people are listening to this podcast that they, that they, that they can take my wife's story. So this 37 year old woman who, you know, who's a dancer that was just in crazy fitness and shape, never smoked all, all know that story. So they can really accept that anyone can get it and, and recognize that I know historically, nobody told you that they didn't say it, but it's the truth. And uh, again, I'm not trying to scare you and I'm trying to run out and oh my goodness, it can happen to you. But no, just like with everything else and other diseases, it's, it can happen. So just just know that and know that absolutely we we'll want you to, to not smoke. Absolutely being concerned about uh, air quality. Absolutely be concerned about radon. Absolutely be about just a healthy lifestyle, but recognize you can still have lung cancer. You can still get that. And so again, just like all the other diseases, we still need to work on it. And uh, But unfortunately, you know, the numbers are that most people are diagnosed late stage, which Keisha, Keisha was, stage four. Uh, and then, you know, the, the survival rate is, is not where we want it to be, uh, even though that's changing right now. There's a lot of hope. So my wife, unfortunately, passed a year after the diagnosis, but uh, not before we were able to launch our team draft initiative with a commitment of changing the face of lung cancer. And, and really, uh, you know, I, I say it's a co-founder because it's, it's so critical that before our wedding day, my wife said, what if we don't get presents? What if we fight for other people by asking our family and friends to, to give to the foundation? And you know, it's a huge uh, distinction that, that really kind of 
acknowledges that my wife went from a fight that was individual uh, to a fight that was expanded in terms of her advocacy to fighting for others. So this self-advocacy that she was all over, owning her, you know, owning the diagnosis initially and fighting to make sure she had a team that was on it so that she could be taken care of. But then on the point of our founding of Team Draft said, all right, we've got to go take it to help other people so that they will be better. And recognizing that that's not one person that does it, but it will be a team. Uh, it We started it there, but it would never just be her. It would never just be me. It was always going to be, be more. So even though she's passed, her message and her commitment lives on in the work that we do moving forward and changing the face of lung cancer. Awesome. Thank you, Chris, for the, for the background. And, and, you know, it's one of those things that our last podcast, we talked about losing a, uh, a child to cancer and talked to two mothers about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here you are talking about, you know, the loss of a spouse. And, and one thing that the two moms we talked to on our last episode, we we're talking about was the importance of carrying on their legacy, right. And, and making sure that they still had a purpose in this world and it just lived on through them. And that's exactly what yeah. you're doing through Keisha, right? Well, I, I, I tell you that it's, it's true that to have a, you know, the, the legacy can, it, it does matter at times, but my wife, she wouldn't care about that. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'll be real, is that she was more concerned about quality of life, right? And so the work that we're doing, she would be excited about it if it changes people's lives for the better, right? So we're not talking about advocacy just to advocate, to just grind, to just do something because you lost somebody, but really doing it because we know that it changes lives, improving them, extending them. And uh, so I, I would say that I have to amend that uh, because it's important for somebody as they move forward that they are appreciated in this space. So not just doing advocacy without having people that are appreciating the work that you're doing. You guys do a tremendous job with, with epic experience and it's important. Let me say thank you for what you guys do to really uplift and educate people uh, through that through that series of, uh, of camps. Uh, I know the pandemic was difficult on that, but you, know, you still have found ways to continue to reach out and uplift people. And that's difficult work. And so you know, thank you for doing that. But it's not just a legacy that is holding them up. You know, I had to decide this right from the beginning or accept it from the beginning that nothing was gonna bring my wife back. Right. So when, when she passed, if I wanted to advocate in a way where I would really bring life to the, the community and really just bring life to <laughs> to the people, I had to accept that nothing I did would bring her back. So I'm not doing this for Keisha. Right. It, it's not going to help her. Yeah. Right. And I know she wouldn't care about how people remembered her so much after she passed. I mean, that she wanted them to, to know her. Yes. And not lie. But she's not so concerned about it. Right. The other side is, could I be excited for people benefiting from things that are from innovation that has happened? I mean, because that can be hard. If you know, you, you lost, you lost your wife, you lost a kid, you lost that. And then to see somebody where innovation happened and now they're and they're doing well. Can I be excited for that? I, I am. I can appreciate that and I can be excited for that. And then the other one is, can I am I willing to fight for it? Right. So something new, something transformative? Am I willing to stand up and say, yes, we need to get that done. And we need to make sure as many people as possible 
get to benefit from it or all the people they can benefit from it have to get it done, right? Otherwise, you know, something, you know, we're going to have to put the ones and twos on them if that can't, that doesn't get done. Yep, for sure, man. For sure. I hear you. Well, tell me a little bit, you know, a little bit more. What, what's a what's a one fun fact about Chris Draft that you can share with our listeners? Man, a one fun fact. Uh, well, I, I can give you, I'll give you that I was born in Kansas. I was born in a small town called Salina, Kansas. Um, so I've got some Midwest roots, even though I grew up in California. I played baseball at Stanford. So I, you know, I played football and baseball. So I, I love baseball, but I just can't, I'm not crazy superstitious like my baseball folks. And uh, the music's different when you're at a, ba- you know, in a baseball locker room than, <laughs> than in a yeah, football locker room. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, those are, uh, you know, and then I, I just have an appreciation of people, man. I love meeting folks. I love meeting them where they are. I uh, love getting to know how they relate to their community, regardless of what that community is. And, uh, you know, I, I hope as I, I interact with folks that I make sure I put them on ease in terms of the fact that just because I grew up in California, just because I live in Atlanta, um, when I'm talking to them, I, I really don't care about those places. I care about where they're from, uh, who they are, and how they interact with their community. And so I'll just throw it out there because we haven't announced this yet. You say you play baseball and football at Stanford. So, you know, we both got those Northern Californian, you know, ties. Put it out, man. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing is you, know, you talk so much about team, right? And, yeah. and, and, and everything that you do, you've always been about team. We talk about the advocates in this, you know, cancer yeah. world. It needs to be a team effort moving the ball forward to all of us making an impact in yeah. where we can. You know, part of that comes from your NFL days playing in the NFL for, yes. if I'm correct, 10 plus, you know, 10 years, 12 years uh, yes. you know, so mm-hmm. 12 years. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, yeah. how, how did that, how does that maybe help shape the work you're doing now? It, it, it's, it's all over it. I mean, I, I, everything that I do, you know, because what football is, is just this ultimate expression of team uh, where we are held to the highest of accountability. Uh, probably the, the hardest thing for me is that uh, if as a, a football player, if it seems that we're not giving everything that we can, uh, we will get destroyed on the news. We, we will uh, and they will challenge us. The community will challenge us. Our fan base will challenge us. The news people, everybody will challenge us to make sure that we make the appropriate adjustments and get our minds right if we think that we're giving everything when it is clearly obvious that we're not. And I and I, said, I think maybe that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to bring to the to the you know, lung cancer community, but cancer community in general. And it says, are we doing everything we can, right? Because if it's expected of me, I'm, I'm as a football player and I'm going out and entertaining people, I'm entertaining, which definitely does a lot for mental health and allows people to connect. And I love that part of the game. But the reality is, is that more important than somebody's life? So you're going to hold me to the highest account to say that that if there's something wrong, we need to fix it. If there's a player that's not getting it done, replace them. If we can, we have more that we can do, do it. If it seems like we are not acknowledging the things that you have to do to win, it's going to get changed, all right? And so in cancer, it's the same thing. Is our mission to save as many people as possible, to make sure their quality of life is maxed out along the way, to know that they are loved and cared from the beginning, right? Exactly. Or is, are we just showing up? Cause I know in ball, just showing up ain't good enough. Yep. Yep. For sure. Putting in the work. 
Well, speaking of that, you know, you've put in the work, you've been an advocate for the, you know, the lung cancer community for 10 years, you know, probably plus now. Right. And uh, so what are some of the common misconceptions when it comes to lung cancer? You know, it's such such a great, great question. I almost have to, I have to almost rephrase it because it says, what are the common misconceptions? And one of the things with the lung cancer community, we, we want it to be a misconception, like as if somebody came up on an idea on their own, rather than the lung cancer community really only having a message historically of the connection with smoking, right? And so if somebody thinks only that it that lung cancer and smoking, all well, this because since 1964, when the Surgeon General said cigarettes can cause cancer, that from that point, there's been a connection between lung cancer and smoking, right? And so if they don't know that anyone can get it, it's because we haven't let them know that. If, if, they, have, if they don't know that there are opportunities for early detection be, with lung cancer screening or nodule, incidental nodules, well, it's because we didn't tell them. If they didn't know that treatments are transforming and there's targeted therapy, there's immunotherapy, and that lung cancer is leading the way in the last three years had more drugs approved than anyone else, if they didn't know that research is how things are changing and lung cancer is right in the front in terms of the amount of research dollars and output of change, if they didn't know that, it's because we didn't tell them. If they didn't know that survivors matter and we need to care about them and love them and, and remind them that every day that they're alive is a blessing and that I know you're going through stuff. I wish I could take it and, and take it away. I wish I could grab the cancer and take it out. But unfortunately, that's just not how it works. And so we have to walk with people, make sure they know they're loved, uplifted and make sure they have all the information they can get and then hold the medical community accountable, right? To making sure that we max out everything we know. And at the same time, really being honest about where people live and, and creating those pathways so that they have the access that is necessary to get the best care. For sure. No, I mean, that's one of those things that, and I love how you always put it, you know, the, the walking with them, being with them, not, you know, like you said earlier, not just showing up, right. It's, it's the, it's the journey that we have to show up for It's we have to be there to greet them at the door, but walk them through what that path looks like. Absolutely. I mean, cause how many, you know, I've, I've joked about this. I'm, I'm laying this out. So I'm going to, I'm going to use a Bay area. Usually I talk about it from a Southern Cal perspective and, and I'll say in Southern Cal, like, Hey, I'm going to fly out to Southern Cal and who, what regular person they drop down in the LAX. They're like, I'm going to go to Santa Monica pier. I'm going to go to Griffith park. And then I'm going to go to Johnson cancer center. And then I'm going to go to a Dodger game. And then I'm going to the Norris cancer center. And you said, hold up. Did you just say two cancer centers in there? Right. Ain't nobody trying to do that. It's not like I'm dropping in the SFO and I'm like, man, I'm going to just go up and check out that the, the UCSF Cancer Center and I'm going to slide over to Golden Gate Bridge and go to Golden Gate Park and I'm going to take a ride down and all of a sudden just show up at a Stanford football game and then slide over to Stanford Cancer Center. You're not doing that. You know, on my way to Napa, I might just go a little bit further and go to SAC and go to UC Davis, but then come back and go get some wine in Napa. So I'm saying that in, in, in jest, but it's just the idea that how many people really know about cancer until you're standing right by somebody you don't know and you are not excited to go into a cancer center. And so there's a huge gap of knowledge that you don't have. Uh, we need to acknowledge that, not try to make excuses for it, but just be honest about it, that you're really not trying to know all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so if we, we, we appreciate it, uh, then it just means that, we need somebody right there. And then we also acknowledge that even if you 
or an oncologist, if that is not your specialty, you would still need support making sure. You know, if you're a doctor, any kind of doctor, but that's not your specialty, you would still need people walking with you. And so it's, if, we, if we're honest about it, uh, it, it makes it where it's a lot easier uh, to deal with. And so then we don't, you know, then we, you know, we're honest about how the information, so then we can be honest about being there when it counts. Exactly. And I will say, you know, the, the only thing I will say as far as your California ties, you know, you better be going to the Giant Stadium before the Dodger Stadium if you are going anywhere. Just saying. Well, I'm just saying I was in Southern Cal. <laughs> uh, I put that out there. But, you know, Pac Bell, I don't even know what the name of it is now. I have Pac Bell in my in my head. It's, yeah, Oracle, I'm with you. Who knows these days? I, I don't know what the name of the stadium is. All I know is that Barry Bonds used to hit home runs in the McCovey. <laughs> there we go. And that's all you need to know. So, there it is. well, you know, and so we talk about walking through those doors of those cancer centers, right? How has screening and treatment changed since you have been an advocate in the space? Yeah, it's, you know, such a great question, Colin. I mean, the really the real question with it is it. I, I enter, you know, my wife was diagnosed basically December 2010, and and in 2011, it's just this moment of real transformation that really is foreshadowed so much of the things that are happening now, and that is that. The National Lung Cancer Screening Trial was approved in 2011. Uh, and then Dalcori as a second targeted drug was approved. It really made it clear that targeted therapy was going to be the future. Uh, a couple of years, you know, a couple of years later, you have the uh, approval of uh, aminotherapy. And, and those, you know, that targeted therapy and immunotherapy has really uh, has transformed where lung cancer is and where it's going. So when you at, you're, you're asking that question of, you know, where are we at? And I would say that we have not expanded, you know, screening. So that happened in 2011 with approval, but we have not allowed ourselves to get excited about that enough yet. And part of it is because the people that it benefits right now have a smoking history. And in our community, we've talked about that there's a stigma uh, of lung cancer, but too often we make it seem like that's an outside stigma rather than if we fight for our people, <laughs> If we acknowledge that our people have value, then the stigma doesn't play into it as much. If we acknowledge that somebody could blame themselves based on historic commercials that in terms of lung cancer, it says we need to deal with those commercials. But then at the same time, we need to make it clear that this is beneficial and that they matter enough to benefit from lung cancer screening. Um, the biggest group that can benefit from lung cancer screening has been historically is our veteran community. And so many people know that, you know, they, they, you know, they got smoking based on people giving them cigarettes right when they went into service. You know, yep. my was one of them. He passed from lung cancer in 2002. I mean, he started smoking when he went in the army. I mean, it was, it was, it was cool. It was right. And they encouraged it. Right. And, and I, and I think, uh, you know, that's the, that's the hard part is that we, there are things that we have that we could do better at. So you're asking about screening. It is getting better but we need to deploy it at a level that is higher. And to be able to do that is to recognize that the people actually matter. And one of the things I've been telling our community over and over again, and it starts to sink in, is in 1998, the tobacco industry got indicted uh, for $200 billion. Uh, that literally means that somebody that smoked is a victim of that industry, right? So, you know, if you're trying to figure out if somebody deserves it, absolutely. And it's actually already been proven. It's already been litigated. It's already done. And they put money on it. So, 
uh, what we have to do is just go and validate that by going out to the people and now letting them know and letting them know every day uh, that they do matter and it's worth it because again, at the end of the day, you know, screening can be there, but if you don't get on the ground, boots on the ground and interact with people, it doesn't matter who's screening, it still won't get done. Mm-hmm. Breast cancer has done a tremendous job because they get out on the ground. You know, you know, all the other, any place where you have screening that has really worked, it's because of the boots on the ground that are making it clear that it matters and then supporting the people to get it done. And, you know, you bring up breast cancer. It's what a lot of people hear of, right? But breast cancer, a lot of times, what are you told? Same with, you know, we were founded with my brother in testicular cancer. Hey, look for a lump, right? Mm-hmm. If you feel a lump, get it checked out. That's a lot of times what you hear. One cancer isn't that easy. It's not that clear, right? And so I guess if there was something that you would say, maybe when it comes to those screenings to look for, what is it that that might be? Or is that screening where we're trying to make it like a um, colonoscopy where it's at this age, let's get a screen? Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a great question because that's one of the things that uh, as, a, as a community, we, we, we dance around because it, it is different. So I think the first thing that I want you to just know is lung cancer is different. <laughs> You just have to own it. It is different. And because it's internal, it means that you're not going to feel for a lump. Uh, but what you can do is feel your body. And so the first thing I would say in terms of early detection, the best thing you can do is to know your body. You know, unfortunately for my, my wife, by knowing her body and knowing a little shortness of breath, she went in as early as she could and it was stage four. But there are folks that if they knew their body and they felt that there was something wrong and they went into their dock early, that it could have been a difference. And then the other part is you got to be honest when you go to the doc about what's going on, right? I, and I say this is sometimes us as men, I'm going to say more men than women, you know, they would say, well, and that's why you need your partner with you when you go in sometimes so they can be honest when you say it's not that bad. And then the person says, your person says, um, it's really, you know, it's not good. And that's why we're here. So, uh, I would say that you, you need the honesty. Uh, that's critical to right now. Again, know your body, honest with your primary care doc, and then you know fight if it doesn't seem like it's right. Continue to fight for it and, and bring it back. Don't just you know you know if 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 you know there's something wrong, make sure you you let them know. Uh, but the other side, in terms of where are we going, where we're going is a blood test. Blood test is going to to be the game changer as it relates to lung cancer. Uh, we need to have a test where you can take it before you have symptoms and, you know, economical to be able to get done. And so the low dose CTs, it works for the group that it is um, kind of proven for uh, is expanding, which is great. Uh, but as it relates to really deploying it out to more people in a larger group, uh, we got to get to a point where it, uh, it just, it's cheaper and it makes more sense. And all that is means that with research, we will find that. Uh, and with the pressure of advocacy, we will accelerate that research in terms of getting to that point where somebody that has no symptoms uh, will potentially find out they have lung cancer before it's stage four, like, like my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've also been involved heavily with a, you know, a new project, the White uh, Ribbon Project. What is the mission of that project? How have you been putting into action? How did you get involved, et cetera? Man, that, what a great question, man. I'm up here in New York City right now. I'm hanging out with the founders of the White Ribbon Project. That is Pierre and Heidi Onda, or Heidi and Pierre Onda. They're always together, just an amazing couple. 
Heidi is a, a stage three uh, lung cancer survivor that actually benefited from immunotherapy where she is doing great. She's NED, no evidence of disease right now, riding the country with her husband, Pierre, who is formerly a primary care doc for Kaiser, who potentially will go back. He just retired so that they can go and enjoy each other and go out to see their family. But uh, just, to, you know, uh, you know, where did, you know, what is this movement, but really changing the public perception of the disease of lung cancer, but doing it through a movement of love, doing it through a movement of inclusion and doing it through a movement that is unbranded, that recognizes that we are in this together. And so Heidi uh, had got to a point in Denver where she just, the, didn't feel like her, her cancer survive, you know, cancer, uh, or, you know, the, the centers were, were doing enough in terms of lung cancer awareness, much which they weren't, they didn't have a plan. <laughs> uh, and, and instead of just getting mad, what she did is she asked Pierre to make her a, a ribbon. And, you know, she wanted something that she could put on the door uh, and, and really just be unapologetic about saying that she had lung cancer and educating the, you know, their community uh, through having facts on their lawn, but also using social media and the people that she knew uh, to be able to share it. And she recognized that they could only reach so, so many people, but she owned that, you know, this is what I can do, unapologetic about it. Uh, and then encouraged other survivors to do the same. Uh, well, when she encouraged those other survivors with all these Zoom calls that were happening, they said, I like that ribbon that you have, uh, can I get one? So Heidi and, and Pierre, you know, they, 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 uh, they showed, she showed off the, the ribbon on, on the Zoom calls and, and, uh, you know, she challenged everybody to stand up in their communities. And they looked at it and they said, well, you know, can we, can we get one? And so Heidi and Pierre being the nice people that they are, they said, oh, heck yeah. You know, Pierre was like, I'll make them. And, and, and the next thing you know, Heidi started making them. And now they've made almost 800 ribbons that they've sent out to people all over the country, all over the world even. And wow. there was never a criterion except for the fact of, Number one, if you're a survivor, I want you to know that you're not alone. So we're going to write it and we're going to put with love on the back of it. No, you're not alone. And But anybody who else who wants lung cancer to move forward, if you just call and ask for a ribbon, man, we want you to know caregivers that we care about you. We want you to know family members we care about you. We want all the docs to know we appreciate you. Medong, Radong, pulmonologist, thoracic surgeon. We want the social workers. We want the, clinic, you know, the infusion nurses, the navigators. We want community health workers, we want valet people, the the direct, like all of the folks, all the people that touch and then people in the community, hey, if you want lung cancer to move forward, a business person, a, a next door neighbor, whoever. Because if we if we believe that it, it's as bad as it is, which which we know is the truth, uh, then we need everybody. We need as much help as we can get, but also more importantly, if we do believe that anyone can get it. I know that because my wife is 37 years old. If we do believe it, then you know so much of, of research is an investment into a possible future, right? So as we look at people and we say, if anyone can get it, well, I can't tell you who that is. It could be anybody walking down the street, right? So let's, let's put some money into it, let's invest in it. So if it does happen to you, we're gonna be further along, right? And if it doesn't, what you'll know is that you contributed to, to saving lives and improving lives. So really, on the White Ribbon Project has kind of became your, you know, your team, if you will, to work alongside Team Draft to really be that voice and be that, you know, that sign of saying, hey, we're in this together, you know, join us. 
it's it's been a special relationship. I'm, I'm I've been excited about it because Team Draft was really established, and, you know, again, and changing the face of lung cancer. But our strategy was about identifying survivors and uh, and and really just influencers within communities that were going to stand up and hold their community accountable. Well, what the White Ribbon Project is doing is is acknowledging those people. <laughs> Right. And encouraging them to stand up. So it, it is so in alignment with what our with our mission and strategy is that it that it uh, again makes it where I, I am completely excited to go alongside with them, knowing that it it was never any one group that could get it done, but it was going to be a collective so as the white ribbon uh, is showing up all over the place. You see people really buying into the fact that they are on the same team and. You know, a bigger part of it is, is, you know, again, what is this power? Why is it so powerful? But it's, it's that the ribbon or, you know, it, it's an opportunity for us to rally. But it couldn't rally until a survivor stood up and said, I'm not ashamed to stand up with this ribbon. And so people have been trying to figure out that the ribbon changed. I said, no, the ribbon didn't change the way you saw it changed. And so what Heidi and Pierre did is they changed the ribbon because it was basically a scarlet letter, like, oh my goodness, a reminder of your worst day and the worst day in your family. And then she flipped it by giving it with love, by constructing it in the, you know, in the garage and, 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 and painting it and, 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 you know, being intentional about it and sending it out and, and, and being willing to drive all over this country because you just love people so much that they want them to know, not just with a ribbon, but with their with the written letter, with, the, with their heart and soul that we care about you. Not that there's a stigma that somebody else doesn't care, but let me tell you with as much energy that I have that you matter, right? And that's a game changer. So now what is that ribbon that ribbon is that light, that love. It is made with love. It is given with love and ideally received with love. And I love the way you put the, you know, the ribbon is light and love. As you know, you know, Epic Experience, we serve all cancers. You know, adults have been faced with cancer and, and you know that well. You've been to one of our camp programs. But knowing that too, like I love how you're saying that, you know, those ribbons are meant to be a sign of light and love. Because I also know a big thing that you did in the past is you were part of kind of working with the NFL on the crucial catch and, and their new mission with that now. And then that's where it's, you know, what I see when I see that is the ribbons and, and they stand out so clear of all cancer to say, Hey, you know, again, we're here, whatever you connect with, right. Yes. We're here to support you wherever you're at. Man. I, you know, I'm glad that you said that, man. I, I, I was in DC uh, just yesterday and I was uh, walking with Heidi and Pierre and I was showing them where the security uh, <laughs> check-in is for the white house. I, uh, you know, the security check-in when, where I was when I was going into the White House for the signing of the moonshot legislation. But when I was in security before I went in, I got a buzz on my phone, a notification that said the NFL and ACS decided that moving forward, it would be an all cancer platform. And if I tell you, I, I mean, I almost lost it because I, I knew I was already going inside but by getting that done, it meant that no, no survivor would be in the stands and have to look at their kids and say, you know, that kid says, why are you not down there? Or why are you not a part of this? And for them to say, well, because it's not for me. 
where now it's for everyone. And so you might not be on the field because they can only have so many people down on the field. I might just you know, be real on that. That's just, just how, it, how it works. Uh, but to know that it's a celebration of survivorship and, and recognize that it doesn't matter what cancer you have from a rare cancer to the most common cancer, we understand that that struggle is real and that you did not pick your cancer, so the cancer picked you, right? And so, you know, it is, you know, what you guys are doing is, is, has been so important in, in that, in that respect. And again, that's why, you know, as a survivor, I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to be excited. You know, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I do a lot of work in lung cancer, but the idea that somebody is living has, has been able to overcome something as traumatic as cancer, man, come on, if you can't celebrate for that, man, get you up out of this room or let me go get a, you know, get some linebackers so that we can jack you up, right? Uh, yeah. But yes, yes. So, man, thank you for that question. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, one thing that we say epic, epic experience all the time is, you know, if cancer is coming to your life, we have a place for you. And, and that's all we're doing, right? It's just making yep. sure, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at. If you need, you know, that hug, that person to show up for you, that's why we're here. And it, you know, it doesn't matter if cancer came to you when you were 15 and you're now 56, or if it came to you a year ago, or you're in the thick of it, you know, if cancer's coming yeah. to your life, we're here for you. And I know that you're exactly the same with the, the mission and the work you're doing. Awesome. So, yeah, with your mission of lung cancer, what would you tell someone that's been newly diagnosed with lung cancer? Where do they start? Man, that, you know, again, that's, that's a great question. Since I was just talking to uh, some folks on the phone, as I was driving up from Baltimore here to New York city. And the, and the biggest thing is, Ideally, I, I want to be able to say with all complete confidence that you're not alone, right? Now, that, that means that I'm saying it, uh, which means they got to me. Now, ideally, it was the reason why we're, we're connecting with so many of the directors in the different cancer centers is to make sure that that is the truth, right? That's why we need all the organizations, why we need all the people is that we've got to make sure that, that they're not, you know, that they're, they're going to have somebody there with them that that we recognize that the, you know, the gap of, of knowledge that comes with a diagnosis. And so not only am I there with you because I'm uplifting you and I'm, I'm, I'm walking with you, and, uh, but I'm there with you because you, you need an interpreter of sorts to, to understand this information. You, uh, you need somebody to help you absorb uh, in your time uh, the information. And uh, so I, I can say I, I was just talking to a couple of folks on, on my drive up here, but the goal is to make sure that everyone has that. And so for someone who just is newly diagnosed, I hope that you have somebody in your corner that is walking with you, that's uplifting you so you don't have to go by yourself. I hope that you are fighting to make sure that you have the information that you need and are advocating for yourself. And what I will tell you is that while you're doing that, there is an, that we're building an army of people to make it where you don't have to work as hard. Uh, and if we haven't told you that we care, I uh, know we're working on getting to you. So there's a white ribbon for you so that you know it, <laughs> uh, that we do care. Uh, but, you know, it it's, doesn't mean that the system's already there for you just yet. So fight. I need you to fight. But we're closing the gap. <laughs> That's all we can do right now, right? Mm -hmm. One step at a time. Well, you know, my friend, is there anything else I haven't asked that you feel, you know, you should share with someone listening? Man, I don't know. All I, all I know is I, I'll, I, want you to, I want you to know that things are changing. Uh, where lung cancer was in 2011, it is not where it is right now. There are changes that are happening. So I, I, I guess this is the other part that I would tell somebody just re, re, recently diagnosed, believe. 
believe that things are changing, believe that they're changing fast, know it, know it, believe it, because it is. Uh, the drugs are coming around quicker. Uh, they're better in, in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, I wish they were for everybody. I wish everyone could benefit. I can't tell you that one, but what I can do is, is tell you that we are benefiting from building off of progress. And that progress is making it where people are living better and living longer, right? So we're going to push that. Uh, White Ribbon Project's a way of doing that. The work that we do with Team Draft and, and so many of these of the other organizations, that's what's moving this forward. We're trying to light a you know, light a fire under everyone and make sure that we we work more effectively as a uh, as a team and acknowledge that there are different positions uh, and that's okay you know and ideally you'll have a bunch of different positions because that's what makes you a great team we don't need a whole bunch of tight ends we need we need the tight end the quarterback and the offensive line and the wide receivers we need all of those people playing their role to be uh, to be the best team possible and that's exactly what the San Francisco 49ers are going to do this season. We both know that, uh, you know, sorry, the selfish faithful. plug sports run my life. What can I say? But uh, you know, Chris, in, in all seriousness, truly appreciate the time. It's been good talking with you and, and, you know, we'll catch up a little bit uh, once we end the recording of this episode some more, but again, thank you very much for all the work you're doing. Thank you for always being a great partner of Epic experience and uh, again, changing the face of lung cancer. So appreciate the time. Man, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. For more information about Epic Experience and our programs, or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode. I'm not